talking. Okay, thank you very much. It's been lovely to share fellowship with you all today and uh, I've really appreciated the opportunity of, of being with you this morning. It was, it was really good. And uh, thank you again for the warmth of your fellowship this evening. I've been asked to look at the second half of Galatians chapter one. And I think we'll read it first from verse 11 to the end of the chapter, Galatians chapter one, verse 11. Uh, but it's lovely that you're studying Galatians. It's um, a very underrated book, but uh, it gets right to the heart of the apostle Paul and his calling. And I think that's very um, important for us to understand because he has such a major influence upon what we believe and the way we worship. Paul's apostleship is of immense importance, as we'll see in a moment. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Very, very powerful passage. I want to deal with it under four different headings. First of all, by way of background, we'll ask the question, where does the New Testament Christian gospel come from? And then secondly, what is Paul's understanding of the purposes of God? Uh, and then thirdly, we'll go through verse by verse on a very short, quick exegesis of the passage. And then finally, Paul's apostolic authority. Where does it come from? And can we trust it? So those are the four areas which I think come out of our reading this evening. First of all, then, where does the New Testament Christian gospel come from? One of the big arguments, uh, certainly in the early Christian church, and it surfaced again from time to time over the last 2,000 years, is how can you match up 
all that God said in the Old Testament with what particularly Paul is preaching in the New. Uh, is there any correlation between the two? And what can we uh, say about differences between the two? So sorry to be full of numbers. We're going to look at five points about where the New Testament Christian gospel comes from. First of all, the New Testament Christian gospel is based on the teaching and life of Jesus, his finished work. Uh, whatever happened before the Lord came, his life, his teaching, his finished work, including his uh, crucifixion, his resurrection, and finally his ascension, is fundamental to an understanding of the New Testament Christian gospel. Jesus is utterly central to the whole New Testament pattern of thinking and belief. Uh, and certainly Paul's teaching, as we'll see, was centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. So if people are trying to understand the correlation between the Old and the New Testaments, uh, the, the <laughs> elephant in the room, as they say today, is the existence of Jesus on this earth for 33 years and all that he did. And you cannot even begin to sort of reconcile Old and New Testaments without looking at the person of Jesus and all that he did. Secondly, the New Testament Christian gospel fulfills all the Old Testament expectations. That's why the New Testament Christians were so keen to demonstrate Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, same word. Uh, and the Old Testament is full of the expectation that this world with all its sad problems, the consequences of Adam and Eve's sin, the curse upon the whole of creation, and all the devastation that Satan has brought about, that uh, one day God would do something about it. I mentioned it this morning in passing the justice of righteousness. How dare Satan destroy so much of God's handiwork in this world. And that was the underlying theme right through the Old Testament, right from the Garden of Eden, where God said to Satan, he will uh, destroy your head uh, and um, uh, bruise your head. And um, it will, uh, the, Old the New Testament fulfills all the expectations from then on through for a golden age on earth of Messiah who would put everything right, appointed by God. And the New Testament Christian gospel is only half a gospel if it doesn't include the fullness of the Messianic kingdom and the, uh, the, the, the work of the Messiah fulfilling all that God had promised on the throne of David as well. Number three, uh, the New Testament gospel does not contradict any of God's previous revelations. And Paul in particular addresses this. Uh, and when you look at the Old Testament laws, uh, for example, all the uh, laws about diet and dress and so on. Uh, and you think, well, where's all that lot in the New Testament? Surely it's almost like two different religions. Uh, and the New Testament Christian gospel, of which Paul was such a profound teacher, shows 
that God hasn't abandoned the, 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 uh, the law. In fact, Jesus himself said, not one jot or tittle of the law will ever pass. And your righteousness has to be greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees who are trying to keep the law. But the law has been fulfilled in Christ. He kept the law in every single aspect. So a man has come to earth who is able to fulfill God's righteous requirements perfectly, completely, and eternally. And that is central to the, old, the New Testament Christian gospel. Not only the law has been completely satisfied in Jesus, and we hide under his righteousness. We're covered with his complete fulfillment of the law. Not only that, but all the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament regime for our redemption, or the redemption of the people living then, has also been fulfilled in Jesus. He is the complete Lamb of God, the fulfillment of all the types of the bulls and the goats and the lambs and the doves and all the rest of it. He has completely fulfilled God's requirements for repentance on our behalf. He is the Lamb of God. Not only that, he's the priest as well. He is the sacrifice and he administers a sacrifice for us. So it's not a question of a difference between the Old and New Testament. In Jesus, the New Testament is preaching, the New Testament gospel, is preaching a complete fulfillment of all of God's revealed requirements in the Old Testament. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. Uh, and uh, that, that's, that's uh, you know, we need to understand that it's not a separate gospel. It's not something new. It's a fulfillment of the old. Fourthly, the New Testament Christian gospel is applicable to every human being. It could never be applicable in the Old Testament. How could all the pagan nations and tribes around the world ever engage in all the legal requirements of the diets and all the rest of it that the Jews were required to uh, observe? Uh, but now something has happened to make God's ability to bless and to re redeem human beings is not limited to one particular nation. It's now available throughout the whole world. As we used to sing, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. The Christian gospel is now burst out of the confines of Judaism into the whole world. The Christian gospel. And fifthly, finally, on our first point, the Christian gospel is supported, or rather, the New Testament Christian gospel is supported by the living experience of untold millions of people over 2,000 years. If it had been some wacky sort of um, um, cult or false religion, it would have died a thousand deaths. But it stood the test of time. And it has done exactly what God wanted the Old Testament to do, but the law could never do. It's changed their lives. It's brought people into a relationship with God that they would never have had through the law. Now, I know all this is well known, but you see, it's fundamental because it's Paul that really understood it better than almost any of the others. And this is the background to what he's saying in our passage tonight. Where does the Christian, uh, the New Testament Christian gospel come from? It comes from the Old Testament, but it's a fulfillment 
of all the promises uh, of the Old Testament in the way that I've just said very briefly. Our second main area is then Paul's understanding of the purpose of God. Uh, this is right throughout all his letters. And we read his letters not separately as detached theology, but we should read what the apostle has written as a continuum, as a long exposition of this new thing that God has done. Remember, he was writing 2,000 years ago, virtually now, when people, particularly the Jews, were still locked into what they had had since the days of Moses. And Paul needed to really show that God had given him the understanding that a new, a new era, a new dispensation had dawned. It's very, very hard, you know, for the prophet server to be accepted. It's very, very hard for people when you're locked into a way of living and acting to actually see that that's gone. We were talking about this this morning, of course. One point that I didn't make this morning, uh, but which I was thinking of as I prepared that, that uh, message this morning is this. When Noah and his family, eight souls altogether, emerged from the ark, it was a very different world to the one that they knew and had been there for 1600 years since the fall when they went into the ark. And uh, yeah, I tried to draw the parallel with maybe we're moving into a new era, uh, even in the church age through what's going on. But let me just read the passage I did refer to briefly this morning, Ephesians chapter three. I'm just gonna read from verses two to six, Ephesians chapter three, verses two to six. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the ministry, uh, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, in God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, no, God's doing a new thing. The past is gone. The new has come. And yes, I was, I was brought into the understanding of this mystery. But as I said just now, it's very hard when somebody just seems to have a recognition of the big changes that are going on to convince everyone else. And uh, <laughs> in a way, we're all in part of that. Oh, let's get back to the old normal. No, there's a new normal. Uh, and certainly there was a new normal after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And Paul had that great insight. Actually, Many years ago, I don't know whether I've ever used this illustration at Great Parks before, uh, probably 20 years ago, I don't know, the early years of, of, of uh, this century, uh, I picked up on Radio 4, BBC Radio 4, a trailer by Ed Sturton, one of the, uh, I don't know whether he still is, one of their presenters. Uh, and um, he was just doing a trailer for a series of six half-hour talks 
that were coming up in the six Saturdays on Radio 4 in the morning on a Saturday morning leading up to Easter. And the theme was uh, um, the teaching of St. Paul. And uh, in this trailer, Ed Sturton, who is a practicing Catholic, uh, to my surprise that he should say this as a Catholic, and he said, Paul, with his insight and teaching, is arguably one of the most profound thinkers we've had in the last 2000 years. You see, all other religions, uh, all the modern religions, are all based on works, on law, just as old Judaism was. And Paul understood the freedom that Christ has brought by having kept the law for us and then allowing all the nations, whether they eat pork or not, whether they dress in different ways according to the Old Testament or not, he understood that a new age had dawned. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, he says a little later in Galatians. And Ed Sturton was making the point, this ability for us to move into the will of God for us in our day and generation, and we're free to do so, Christ has set us free, was, is an amazing philosophy, amazing teaching in the history of the human race particularly from the Reformation. Now, he was a practicing Roman Catholic, and he's still saying that. And the Catholics, of course, almost Old Testament in their adherence to uh, legalism. I was quite surprised to hear him say it. But uh, I didn't listen to any of the programs, but it, it was a, a really good comment to make. That's the importance of this man we're looking at, the Apostle Paul and what God caused him to do. He understood God's purposes to bring about a new era where his grace and his redemptive love could go out to the whole world, irrespective of their cultures, their background and their history and their ways of living. So thirdly, then, we're going to come on to our passage as well. And from what I've just said, we're going to see how Paul defended what he was saying. And this is very brief, uh, but we'll go through it verse by verse or a couple of verses at a time. Verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that this the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So he is great pains to say this is not a man-devised concept. He didn't even dream it up. And with his background, probably he couldn't have done it without divine revelation, because his mind would have been so focused on legalism and the history of his people and the traditions and maintaining them. Uh, for him, God took somebody who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees to reveal the wonderful freedom we all have, Gentiles in particular, uh, in Christ Jesus. Yeah, he couldn't have devised that. He's almost saying, I'm not that clever, but I was uh, given this by revelation. So the New Testament Christian gospel came not because a group of men sat down and worked it all out, or even one man, but Paul was the one to whom this was revealed. And the person that revealed it was the Lord Jesus himself. And as we see, as we go through these verses one by one, he had that very close walk with the Lord. And, uh, you know, it's, it, isn't it wonderful when you and I, in the spirit that Paul is saying here, can spend time with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
And suddenly the Lord brings an impression from the word or through our own, uh, the answers to prayer, whatever it is, and reveals something to us about our own lives, about his own will for us, his own plans, and gives us a revelation that maybe changes our ministry, changes our lives, or gives us a new gifting. Yes, it comes through the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't want to draw attention to himself. That's been the great problem with the uh, whole Pentecostal stroke charismatic movement. We believe in the gifts, but not to promote them and the Holy Spirit beyond the Holy Spirit's work, which is to reveal the Lord Jesus. Paul said, Jesus showed me this. And uh, he goes on in verses 13 to 16. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. So Paul again is just underlining the fact that not only was this a God-given call, but he was prepared for that call in time before he was born. Now, I don't believe that that phrase of Paul there, set me apart from birth, is talking about uh, God's divine pre uh, uh, choosing him beforehand, that he had no choice in the matter. I don't believe that uh, because um, the justice of God I believe, is dependent upon our repentance. Uh, and, and Paul didn't have much chance when he was met on the Damascus Road, but the pen, repentance must have been in his heart. That's a, 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 another story. But what I believe Paul is meaning is that God had equipped him from birth with all the attributes as a human being with what he needed to do this job. His intellect, great intellect, his personality, Boy, was he a powerful personality, and if it wasn't for the grace of God, he would have overwhelmed and blown away so many of them. I mean, uh, when Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? He, it was virtually a curse, uh, and uh, he could be a very strong character. Uh, he had that personality. He had that sense of commitment and zeal from birth. It was part of his makeup, part of his character, part of the way he was prepared in the womb. As David said, in my mother's womb, you knew me. So I think what Paul is saying is all that I needed to have in order to do the job that God, by his grace, had uh, foreordained for me, I was equipped in the, in the womb. This was God's plan and purpose for me. And he was born with these, for, these attributes and characteristics for a purpose. Uh, and, and he says that uh, also in that, uh, that reading, uh, he was pleased to reveal his son in me. So that's another important element. It wasn't just up here in his brain that he assented to a different theology. He did it because something of Jesus was being revealed in his life. And as we'll see in a moment, it took years. And sometimes it may take us years. I'll make this point again in a second. Uh, but he was saying, if I ever doubted the truth of what it was I felt that I was being led into, when I saw something about the beauty of Jesus 
being formed in me, being revealed in me. I thought, this is, this is not my personality now. This is not my zeal. This is not my commitment. I'm just a, a vessel. I'm just someone given this by God's grace so that I, by his grace, can reveal the Lord Jesus. And uh, that's part of his understanding the, the, of the truthfulness of this tremendous re-understanding of God's dealings with humanity that laid the foundation for the New Testament Christian church and a whole understanding of life ever since. Verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So it seems that uh, um, for three years, Paul then, from Damascus, didn't go immediately up to Jerusalem, but stayed in a fairly sort of howling wilderness area. Remember, he was a tent maker. He had the means to earn a living. And he took his time. Now, there is a problem here with Acts chapter 9, where it's reported there that Paul did actually go up to Jerusalem and saw some of the apostles. We think that they, that may have been what Paul was talking about in the next few verses. He said, I didn't go immediately to Jerusalem. I went out into a quiet place. Isn't it often the way, and it may be in you dear folks' lives, where God brings you into a state of grace and an understanding of what he wants for you, but then it is, as it were, he puts you to one side. And you think, well, where did that lot go? What's he doing? Uh, it's all right, just wait. God is in no hurry. And we make this point again in the next couple of verses. Uh, because um, he had three years there and a total of 14 years altogether before he really got going. <laughs> I, I just noted down three T's. Testing takes time. Testing, not in the sense of examination, but approving, you know, like you test gold in the fire. And uh, for, for, for many of us, we've been through, those of us that are older, we have been through testing times, but it's not speedy. And sometimes we get quite angry with God. Look, I, I've done this, for, I, I've given myself to you. Why am I still sitting here? Why am I in that job? Why am I sort of, uh, you know, not being doing more? Just hold on, God's saying through Paul here. It's all right. I took time. This revelation wasn't the sort of a ding, and I suddenly burst into the world. I disappeared. And I let God fulfill the whole of his work in my life. When in my early career, um, I, as in my early 20s, probably about 24, 25 actually, I, I, I hadn't gone to university straight away. I went into an apprentice, uh, well, a management training course with, of all places, British Rail. Uh, so that's why I can sympathize with Ashley. <laughs> and um, after that, I went into the civil service, the Ministry of Transport. And um, instead of helping to run the railways, I started to do the legal side of building roads. But that's another story. And I had to do a diploma course uh, locally here in, in, in Taunton. And... Um, <clears throat> Then, as a result of that, I was offered an unconditional place as a mature student at Bristol University. I was the person that was offered an unconditional place at Bristol University and turned it down. 
Oh, I did a lot of thinking over those few months, but I did very little praying about it. And uh, I've often said the biggest mistake I've ever made. Had I actually gone from, uh, to, to, and, and done that uh, university course, I think I would probably have been into full-time ministry about 15 years before I was. But I look back now and think, well, <laughs> I do believe in God's sovereignty. I do believe in his overruling. And I learned an awful lot of lessons by turning that place down and realizing God had opened it up for me and I wasn't full, of, full enough of faith to, to take it. I wasn't walking with him closely enough. Very, very real lesson. But it takes years to learn some of these lessons. And they don't come overnight. Neither did it with the apostle. Testing takes time. Let me encourage you, dear Christian friend, if you feel that God's put you almost on a cul-de-sac or a sort of a byway, don't give up on God because God hasn't given up on you. Testing takes time. Verses 18 and 19. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, who, of course, uh, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. I assure you before God, um, my, no, just 18 and 19, that's it. Um, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. That's right. Um, so he just went quietly. He didn't go up to sort of say, look, <laughs> I'm, I'm, your, I'm God's answer to all your problems. You know, here I am. He didn't have that spirit about him. I'm suggesting that as Paul's writing this, he's showing us that if he was doing this in a big-headed, self-important way, as so many gurus do today, sadly, in the Christian church, he would have done things a lot quicker and a lot more upfront. He said, no, I just really wanted to have a good chat with Peter. I wanted to sort of just continue to take things quietly. I met James, leader of the church in Jerusalem, just got to know them and shared with them. And uh, it was an important time. And then in verse uh, 20, I, assured, uh, I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. So I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't trying to promote myself. I wasn't starting a new religion. I was very, very gently, and it took time. God was still working within me. This, this is not the attitude of a man that wants to take over and completely did bring about his own uh, way of, uh, of, of uh, religion at all. Um, and then finally, verse 21 to the first part, and I do apologize to Emma that I'm taking up a little tiny bit of next, next person's uh, talk. The, verse, the first part of chapter 2, verse 1. So verse 21 of our chapter. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. This is up at Antioch in that area. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ, they only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now destroying the faith he once tried to destroy, preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They praise God because of me 14 years later. We probably think that this is later than his conversion. So that the three years were part of the 14. It might have been 17 years altogether. But again, 
Paul is trying to tell the Galatians, no, I wasn't being big-headed, bursting on the scene. I've got the answer to all your problems. I'm the big guru. He said, it was years and years and years of learning, being tested, getting an understanding of what God was saying and doing. Uh, you got me all wrong if you think that I'm trying to really promote myself. And this is such an important part of the New Testament history, friends, because there are people, and I've met them, maybe you have as well, that when you quote a scripture, oh, that's Paul. No, I only want to listen to what Jesus said dividing the New Testament between Jesus and other people like Paul, trying to rubbish his, Paul's authority and the use that God made with him. Very, very important to understand what had been going on in Paul's life in his early years as a Christian. This does not seem to be the action of a man who is self-deluded and a fantasist. Uh, no, he wouldn't have acted like that. My fourth and final area that I just want to share with you his apostolic authority. And again, if I could encroach on next time's message, in chapter 2, verse 8, um, when, uh, let me just read from verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. This is the verse. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. And it seemed that that was the moment, after all those years of waiting on the Lord, getting his understanding of God's purposes right, that's when he was recognized as an apostle. He had seen the risen Christ, one of the criteria of apostleship, on the Damascus Road. He had seen Jesus, and the sight of Jesus blinded him for three days. But... Um, he was deemed to be an apostle. Was he accepted as an apostle? And this is part of the battle that he had to fought for the rest of his Christian pathway. If you look at all the epistles or most of the epistles that Paul wrote, it says an epistle to the whoever it was by Paul, the apostle called by God. It's as if all, every time he has to convince people of his apostolic authority. Now, why was that? It almost uh, having to convince so many people in the church today that he was an apostle. That is given the task of telling us the truth of God's purposes in the Christian gospel. Well, what I'm going to say now, and it's the final thing I'm going to say, uh, I do believe, I can't prove it from Scripture, but I think the scriptural account does give weight to the point that I'm going to make. When they were in the uh, 120, after the, uh, the ascension, were waiting in the upper room uh, for the Holy Spirit. Peter, bless him, who was also always a man that rushed to, put, uh, to open his mouth and put his foot in it. This is before Pentecost. He said, we've got to do something. Let's, let's fill the gap left by Judas. And used a very Old Testament means of trying to discern God's will. They threw some dice, <laughs> not a New Testament way of dealing with things at all. And they had two people, one was, uh, and the one that uh, was chosen by this throw of the dice, was a guy called um, Matthias. And we never hear of him again. And they said, there we are, we got the 12 apostles. And this poor chap 
was never heard of again, the finest. Now, who was the other apostle? The God in his sovereign grace was going to appoint. He wasn't one of the apostles that had been with Jesus. He was going to be the apostle of the Gentiles called in due time. And I rather think there was a long argument in the early church, which is what Paul is trying to deal with here, with the Galatian Christians, that uh, he was an apostle. He had apostolic authority and still has for us today. We are an apostolic people because we come not under modern day apostles. That would be a contradiction. We come under the apostol uh, apostolic authority of the writers of the New Testament. They are our apostles. We hold to scripture and we don't add to it. We don't accept anyone else's authority. The apostles that God has given us uh, 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 and have brought together the words of scripture, they are the people we accept as being our apostolic authority. And Paul constantly had this battle because I think they probably would have said, well, <laughs> Peter filled the gap. I don't think he was meant to. And we don't hear of that guy anymore, Matthias. I'm sure he's a lovely man. Uh, but Paul was meant to be the 12th apostle. And he constantly had to reiterate his apostolic authority. But praise the Lord, it was accepted. And we accept his teaching through his letters as our apostolic authority as well, along with the others. And we praise God for a man such as Paul. May the Lord bless you as you continue to walk with Jesus. The revelation that God wants to give you for such a time as this and the obedience we seek, not as apostles, but whatever the gifting and the, and the job that God has given us to do, may we do it as conscientiously as Paul did his job in his day. Would you like me to close in prayer, Jonathan? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this wonderful, wonderful gospel. This amazing record in scripture of your purposes, dear Father, from cover to cover, from eternity past, right through time, and what will happen in eternity to come when time shall be no more. Father, we thank you that you are the one true God. You, together with your Son and the Holy Spirit, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You haven't changed. Your plan and purposes have not changed. The way in which you administer your grace has changed and will continue to do so. But we thank you that the core of your person, your truth, your um, purposes for humanity and for your creation is exactly the same. But we thank you, Lord, for those to whom you've given the authority, the insight, the understanding to see how those purposes are being worked out in depth from day to day. Lord, please, as we looked at this morning, may we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in our day, particularly in a day where there's so much change, and help us, Lord, to realize you are the same God. The gospel hasn't changed. But Lord, we are the people, the watchmen on the wall, who need to be praying for the justice of your righteousness to be seen by all. But while we wait for the gospel to still come with conviction, uh, with um, conversion to many around. Lord, bless your dear people at Great Parks. Thank you for them. And just help them, Lord, as they step into the unknown, the future 
as it's opening up, that they may know your purposes for them as a people in these times. Bless, Lord, those who are not with us this evening. Thank you for them. And we commit ourselves in joy into your hands, thanking you that we're part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And we love you for who you are and what you've done by way of salvation and your providence toward us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.